we were all swimming towards this very narrow point. It was a bridge that we had to swim under. So everybody is kind of getting closer and closer as we're all getting to that mass point. My ribs are rubbing on other women's ribs, and, you know, we're really, really close. And I'm swimming along, and my arm comes down on smack dab on the top of this woman's back. And I'm thinking, now what do I do? And I thought about, you know, do I pop my head up and say, oh, excuse me, I didn't mean to hit you? Um, Because that's what I would do, you know, on the street if I bumped into somebody. But then I kept thinking about that narrow bridge, and I wanted to get to that narrow bridge that we had to swim under before she did. So I just kept my arm going around in my normal stroke. And in the process, I shoved her underwater and I swam over the top of her and I beat her to the bridge. And I loved that feeling. I mean, I just, I thought there's a beast inside of me. I just, and I'm thinking, Sue, you just pushed a woman underwater and you liked that feeling? Hello, Yogi Triathlete community. Welcome back to the show. We are Jess and BJ, and we're on a mission to create a better world by sharing meaningful conversations each week with people looking, finding, and living their purpose. Our intention is that no matter how big our accomplishments or monumental our challenges, we all know beyond doubt that we're never alone. Yogi Triathlete is a community of like-minded competitors who believe in the interconnectedness of humanity and the power of the mind. Our guest today is a woman who reminds us all that when we set our sights on something and follow that up with action, there is no goal that is out of reach. Sue Reynolds embarked on her life transformative journey in 2010 when she pushed her breakfast away and said no more. At 335 pounds, Sue was morbidly obese and unable to tie her own shoes, but on that day, she was ready for change. She started small with a walk to her neighbor's mailbox, and although it felt like a marathon to Sue, she got up the next day and walked again. In four short years, Sue turned herself into a world-class triathlete, and in 2017, she placed six at the Sprint World Championship. Sue is the author of The Athlete Inside, The Transforming Power of Hope, Tenacity, and Faith. She is here with us today to share her inspiring story. Sue, welcome to the show. Hi, hi to both of you. This is um, it's just a pleasure to be here. And that was a lovely introduction. Sometimes it's difficult for me to take my story, which was, you know, over multiple years and so crazy and put it into a nutshell. And you just did that so, so well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to accept that compliment because that's one of the questions I'm going to be asking you is how you were able to receive all of this support. But before yeah. we get into that, take us to take us back even before you push the breakfast away. Um, and what life looked like and how you got to 335 pounds. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I'm surprised how often that question comes up. It's something that people are really curious about. Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of stereotypes that go with uh, people that are obese. And and I, I'm five seven and a half and uh, weighed 335 pounds at that point. So I was not only, you know, obese, but I was majorly obese. Um, and some of the stereotypes are that uh, people that are obese are unhappy and, you know, they're full of sorrow. So they eat to, you know, make their sorrows go away. And that didn't fit me at all. And I think it doesn't fit a lot of obese people. Um, I'm happily married, been married for uh, 40 years and wonderful husband, two great kids, um, sons and two wonderful daughter-in-laws and three of the most lovely grandkids in the world. So I was really very happy 
happy. And um, so that was not the reason that I got so big. And another stereotype is that people that are obese are um, irresponsible or don't have self-discipline. But that also didn't fit me. Um, I started a nonprofit that uh, helps uh, communities improve their schools. And uh, it's a nonprofit that's been around for 20 years, very successful. And, you know, to to do that kind of work, I had to be responsible. So there's this, you know, responsible part of me as well. So, so that didn't fit. So, and actually, the reason I got so big was because of my job. Um, I love my job. It, I saw it as a calling. Um, I loved thinking that through our work, we could help um, low-income schools give opportunities to kids that don't normally have opportunities and um, just loved what I was doing and often pulled all-nighters, not because I had to, but because I wanted to. I believed in the work that I was doing. And to stay awake in the all-nighter, I would eat. And it was not uncommon for me to eat oh gosh, three dozen cookies and a pound bag of M&Ms. And I would do that two or three times a week. So the nonprofit grew and so did my waistline. So, and, and like, as you said, then one day I had just had enough and it, it wasn't because I wanted to look thin. Um, that never really bothered me. My sense of self-image was based on my, my work and my, uh, who I was on the inside more than what I looked like. Um, so it wasn't that. It, my saying enough was just when you're that big and your fitness is that low, there's a lot of things that you can't do. And I just got fed up with that. And like you said, I, I sat at that breakfast table and I pushed, made my the palms of my hands push away from me and just said enough and started making different choices. So, I mean, to to put on that much weight, it takes years. Like how, yeah. how long would you say that that was in the making? Yeah, I, I was overweight, but not obese. Um, I think my first diet that I can remember, I think I was 12 or 13. Um, but I really put on the weight after when I was an adult, after I started working in schools. And again, because I loved my work. And, you know, when I was teaching, I would stay up late grading papers and preparing for the next lesson. And then with the nonprofit, you know, there was that work. So, you know, I, I started putting on the weight in my early 20s. And um, I started the journey to lose the weight when I was 40, so or 60. So that's 40 years it took me to put that weight on. Whoa, that, you know, that's actually pretty amazing. Because I think, some people will look and say, oh, you know, why bother? Like, I'm never going to get this weight off. It took you 40 years to put it on and less than four years to get it off. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually a pretty high rate of return, mm -hmm. right? Once you, once, you push, <laughs> once you push that breakfast away, like, yeah. it didn't take that. I mean, it really didn't take that long in the grand scheme of this beautiful, no. long life that we have. And that's one of the things that kind of was an aha for me. You know, the, they always talk about how a healthy weight loss is a, a pound and a half to two pounds a week. And with 52 weeks in a year, you can lose 104 pounds in one year if you just start making good decisions and stick to it. And so that that was part of my my motivation or my inspiration for continuing with my diet is I kept thinking, if I can do this for 52 weeks, I will be 100 pounds less. And that was that was exciting. 
Yeah. Does it show you how, which I, I know the answer, but you know, how resilient the body is, how miraculous this, this uh, structure that we're in, that we can do that for 40 years and come back and thrive in the yeah. same physical yeah. structure we're in. Absolutely. And, you know, not only losing the weight, but then taking someone who had done absolutely no exercise for decades and then to all of a sudden discover this athlete inside of me and develop that at age 60. I mean, yeah, the human body is like amazing. (laughs) Did you have, were people around, was your husband or your kids, were they concerned about your health? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was it was interesting. There were some of my family members when I was um, some of my family members were concerned about my appearance. They thought I should look nice, and but my immediate family was concerned about my health. Um, um, they they nagged me again for decades <laughs> about losing weight and you know exercising and um, but. I gave myself incorrect messages. My blood pressure was always low for some reason, even when I was heaviest, my heaviest. And so I assumed since my blood pressure was low that my weight wasn't a health issue for me. And, you know, that's not true. But that I would always say to myself, well, I'm a, I'm a healthy obese person because I have, you know, low blood pressure. But, um, yeah, that wasn't true. But it was, it was at the time, it was kind of a nice thing to tell myself. <laughs> it probably kept you healthy. I mean, we know that what we think we become, right? Yeah, so, true, I mean, true. it probably kept you healthy. And I think that that's a really strong testament to the fact that we can't change for other people. Yeah. And that, you know, as we look around our life, we can, we can always find somebody that, oh, geez, if they just did a little bit less of this, or they did a little bit more of this. And, you know, because maybe we're on the other side of what they're in, but all I can do is just, you know, hold them in my heart and pray really like that they'll find their way because change has to come from within. Absolutely. what was it about that mo- that moment the way you just said no more yeah i, I think it was in in the point that you make is really true i think there were for, for many many years i did false starts with my my dieting and i mean i probably failed at 60 diets before i was successful at it and i think the reason is because i was trying to diet to please other people um, you know, I would see in the media that, you know, successful people were thin or um, it, it was it was pleasing other people always. And that was enough of a motivation to get me started with dieting. But when the going got tough and I was tired and there's a dozen cookies, that wasn't enough of a motivation pleasing other people to keep me going. And it wasn't until the person that I was pleasing was me and it was something that was important to me that I could stick with the diet over time. And I think that's really, really important. Um, so, so yeah, it was just deciding that, I mean, the biggest thing, there was just so much I couldn't do. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I would go out for lunch, a business lunch, and I'd have to just cross my fingers that we didn't sit um, in a booth because I couldn't fit. I would have to tell everybody, I'm sorry, could we sit at the table? I can't get my belly in this booth. Um, in a, I could, if I went into a public restroom, I could get my body in the stall, but I couldn't close the door behind me. So I always had to use the, the handicap restroom because it was the only one I could get in. But the worst was 
I couldn't, um, I couldn't put my socks and my shoes on myself because my belly was so big, I couldn't reach around it. So it was not only the, you know, the weight and the fitness, but it was just the sheer size of my body that was a problem. So every morning, I'd have to ask my husband to put my socks on for me. And I, you know, I just hated doing that. I felt so helpless. And um, yeah, and I think, you know, at that time when I said enough, I'm, my, my visual at that point was my first goal was to be able to put my socks on. I mean, that's, I just wanted to be able to put on my socks and it, it never occurred to me that I'd end up liking sports or anything. I just wanted to put my socks on. So, but that's a question I get a lot from young people when I'm doing presentations. Uh, there's a lot of young people that are concerned about their obese parents and they'll ask me, you know, what do I say to my mom or, or my grandma? Um, and is I, I say to them basically what you just said, that it's got to come from within them. You, you can't make them want to make that change in their lives. Um, you just have to be supportive and, you know, never give up. And my family never gave up, but they, they nagged at me to lose weight for probably 30 years before I did. <laughs> so, Yeah. It must have been frustrating to you there, but it seems like there was a bit of like a cognitive dis disconnect um, where you're such a go-getter and you were a teacher and you saw a need and you started this nonprofit and like you're an achiever. You are yeah. an achiever, right? Which is really like the essence of an athlete. Mm -hmm. You're an achiever. And then here you are every day saying, I can't even achieve <laughs> yeah. putting up. So I could see that how that, that just built as a piece of your life that was unacceptable. And yeah. maybe it seems small, but it's the feeling around it and the disconnect of who you truly were inside. Yeah, that's a really good point. And actually something I've never thought about before. It was just such a feeling of, of helplessness to, you know, have this one part of my life that I couldn't control. I couldn't put on my own socks. And yeah, yeah. In relation to the diets that you tried, so, mm -hmm. you know, upwards of 60 different diets, the, the nutrition information that you saw, like how confusing... Or how much of a struggle was it going through? Like, well, maybe it's this diet or maybe it's this food that I need to eat or this doctor says this. Like, was there was the level of confusion and and and, and um, frustration high at that point? Just trying to find that answer. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and so the diets that I tried, there were two types of diets I tried. One was um, one was counting calories and the other one was counting points. And what would happen is I would lose weight. Like I, when I opened the book, I talk about losing 66 pounds on a diet where I, where I counted points. And, but the way I lost the weight is I would stop at the, however many points it was, but I ate all my points for breakfast and then I just wouldn't eat the rest of the day. So I was still eating, you know, waffles and maple syrup and those things I love for breakfast. And then I would just, you know, starve the rest of the day. So I lost weight, but that was not sustainable for, for probably anybody. It certainly wasn't sustainable for me. And I would just, you know, gain it all back. So, yeah. yeah. So how, where do you go from the breakfast table that morning? You say no more. Where does it go from there? Does it start with the food? Does it start with the exercise or both? Um, it started with the food. Um, exercise at that point was something that I just thought at my size was impossible. Um, and there were there were also times, you know, with all these failed diets where I just thought it was hopeless. I mean, there were years that I just gave up. I mean, I just thought, 
I, I, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book because I felt so hopeless being a hundred plus, in my case, 200 pounds overweight. I wanted to give other people hope to, you know, help them understand, yes, you don't have to have surgery. It doesn't have to, you know, you can just make different choices. And then over time you can lose a hundred, 200 pounds. So, so for me, it started with the diet part and the, the diet that finally worked for me really wasn't a diet. It was just a lifestyle. And, um, that was an aha for me because, yeah, yeah because you know, <laughs> diets are things that you start and you stop and then, you know, but a lifestyle, you just do the rest of your life. So, um, and I just started doing what I call a, a whole foods um, diet where I don't leave out any food groups. Um, I just limit my portion sizes and I eat five times a day. So I feel like I'm always eating. Um, I'm just eating healthy foods and, and um, you know, not, not eating a lot. But but now, you know, the first three weeks, I think, were hard when I, you know, I had to get used to, like, not buying a candy bar every time I bought gas, every time I got gas in the car. Um, but after the first three weeks, it got really easy. And um, that was really surprising to me that once I got past eating all the junk, that it just, you know, didn't bother me to eat healthy food. Well, that's that's that. The mind you you associated the the gas with the bar like the mind is yeah. like okay it's turnkey I don't even have to think about it like right what what else can I occupy my space with thinking about but but that's so great because you can do the same thing the other way it may take that three weeks of like sure will like sheer will like you can you can mm-hmm. do this three weeks and then you've created that new habit so the right. same it's the same thing like if if we can just open that window a little bit to to crack it and see that um that the habits that we do have now were, were once created by us and our yeah. mind that we can simply just switch that around and, and focus on something else, but yeah. it takes will. And that's that, but that's a really good point. It's, it's all about habits and you know, what your habits are. And, and I think part of it, I'm learning a lot. This is a, this is a great chat. <laughs> but it's just, you know, I made new okay. habits. So, you know, now now my new habit is it's not a candy bar, it's an apple and I love that that as much as I used to love a candy bar. So, yeah, absolutely yeah. not habits. And to go back to what BJ was saying about how amazing, you know, you guys were agreeing on how just amazing the body is, the body is going to adapt. So if we feed it candy bars for 40 years, it's going to want candy bars. But when we start using our free will and our power of choice to say, all right, oh, this is a rough moment, but I'm just going to get the gas and I'm going to eat the apple, the body will start to respond to the apple. Yeah, and yeah. now you love apples. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Right? And, and um, another good point you you just made, I think, is that it is about will. And you mm-hmm. know, a lot of people say, "Oh, you must have, you know, you must really have a lot of motivation, and you must be really motivated." And a lot of times, I'm not motivated, but I try to be disciplined. So I think it's more about discipline to stick with it when the motivation isn't there. So to me, especially in training too, there's days I don't want to train. Um, I don't have that mojo, but, but I am disciplined and I train anyway, even though I don't feel like it. So yeah, motivation is temporary and it's never there when you need it. It's great. You can plug into the music and watch the video and get fired up. But when you're, when you're out there on the course and you're, you know, you've got two miles left and you're suffering, like where's, where's the music, where's that video, where's that poster you have hanging? Like, yeah, yeah. It's just you yourself. So if you have the discipline, right. To, to create that space between what's happening, what you're observing 
and that you have a choice there to, this is it. This is the moment like uh-huh. you can embrace that, use that discipline. What do I need to do? I need to get water in yeah. I need to slow my pace down. Uh, I need to check the ego. Um, like yeah. All yeah. These, you can go through this checklist. M- motivation never appears. I've found yeah. it's never there when I really need it. Never. Yeah. Yeah. There's so there's so many things that people people think, you know, I must be highly motivated. Um, and then when it comes to food, um, I'm not disciplined when it comes to food very much. I mean, I do have some discipline enough, but what I was what I was good at was controlling my environment. So I took the temptations out of my environment so I didn't have to be as disciplined. So I suppose that's a type of discipline too, but mm-hmm. Um, so like right now, there are no what I call fun foods, sweets um, in my house and things that I know I don't have as much self-control around like peanut butter and cereal. My husband is hidden. So we the, we have peanut butter in my house. I don't know where it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> but then that's just, you know, it just makes it easier. And I, I can be disciplined because I've controlled my environment so that it doesn't mm-hmm. take as much discipline. Right. And it's so much nicer, I'm sure, to ask him for the peanut butter than it is to ask him to help you put your socks on. <laughs> That's true. Right? <laughs> That's yeah. really true. So let's talk about when you start moving this amazing body of yours. Yeah. What is, I mean, whoa. Because you yeah. were not exercising your whole life, pretty much, right? Right, right. I, I basically sat in a chair or a couch since I was 20. Um, and didn't play sports in school. So, um, I'm, I'm 66 now. And when I was, when I was in school, they didn't have sports for girls. So I didn't even know that I liked sports. I never had an opportunity to be physically active, um, as a, as a kid. So, so yeah. So one day, you know, my husband, as I mentioned, had been nagging me to exercise forever, and one day he said, let's take a walk. And um, I think I had lost you know, a little bit of weight, but I was still like, it was early in the journey. I was still really heavy. And I, I, for some reason, I said, okay, that time. And I remember standing at the back door about to go out and thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Um, but I, I held onto his arm and he was probably, I probably was, he was probably carrying half of my weight. I don't know. I mean, he was holding me up a a lot. And we just walked to the neighbor's driveway. It was about 50 meters away. And I had to stop a couple times to rest. And um, then we turned around and came back and walked in the back door and I collapsed on the couch. That was hard. Um, You know, a lot of times if someone's never been obese, I think it's hard for them to imagine what's that that's like. So I like to, to, to explain it this way. If you, if, if someone who's not overweight had to carry 10, 20 pound bags of ice, the large bags of ice from the grocery store, imagine picking up 10 of those and then having to walk across the parking lot, carrying 10 of those. I mean, that's, that's just a lot of extra weight to carry. So when I got home after walking a hundred meters with all that extra weight, um, I, I was just exhausted. I remember falling back on the couch and I was, you know, gasping for air and it, it was just so hard. But at the same time, I just, I mean, I was just 
over the moon excited because I had exercised and it was the first time in decades that I had ever exercised. And I remember thinking, I'm covered with sweat, but it's not because I was hot. <laughs> you know, it was just, <laughs> I was just, I was, I was just so proud that I had taken that first step. It was, it was wonderful. So, so, and then it was just baby steps after that. The next day we walked to the second neighbor's driveway and the third day we walked to the third neighbor's driveway and, um, one of the things I did that was really helpful that I would I'd text my children. My sons were adults and not, not living at home at the time. Um, but I would text them and say, you know, walk to the seventh driveway. And they'd text back and say, woohoo, mom, good job. And so, but what I had set up was an accountability system. And I didn't realize that until recently that that, you know, that was so important because I knew if I missed a day, they would wonder why didn't mom text me today. So that that was great. Yeah. So then I finally got to the point where I could walk, walk a mile and then I could walk for three miles. And I text my children and said, three miles. woohoo! And, and my youngest son texted back and said, OK, mom, now we're ready for a 5K. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, oh my gosh, I mean, to me, I'm obese, 5K, they were like, you know, that was something for fit people and for people that could run, not for obese people that could barely walk. And so I didn't want to do it. Um, but my my son, every, every, every time I would say words that started with, yeah, but, my son would say, mom, that's just an excuse. Let's figure out a way around that. So, you know, yeah, but I don't know what to wear. Well, he, I'll help you figure that out, mom. Yeah, but it's going to take me so long. The race director will be, you know, inconvenienced. Yeah, but call the race director. I ask him if it's going to be an inconvenience. So I did. Um, so my biggest yeah, but was I, I really was afraid that everybody would point at me and, and wonder why the obese person was at this event that was, you know, designed for fit people. So, but finally he, you know, he, at that one, he, he said, mom, nobody is looking at you. He said, that's kind of like self-centered. Nobody's paying attention to you at these races. So I went and he signed us up for a race and he called and he, he, he said, I signed us up, mom. And the name of the race is the Krispy Kreme challenge. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And we're on the West coast, but we're from the East coast. So we know what Krispy Kreme is. Mm-hmm. Do, they have, big... do they have Krispy Kreme in the West coast? Mm-hmm. Do they? Yeah, they have a few. Oh, they here. do. I've seen, yeah, yeah. I've seen them, but yeah. But yeah, well, it's uh, a, yeah. Your Krispy... listeners don't know. It's a wonderful donut <laughs> shop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's per it's perfect. You created that whole thing perfectly and you didn't even know it. Um, <laughs> So yeah, tell us about that first experience doing a 5K because that, yeah, you know, I, one thing we hear people say is, oh, it was just a 5K. It was yeah. just a this. It was just a that. And I think that goes right in the same category as yeah, but it's yeah. don't minimize yourself. Like a 5K is, that's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, walking to the first mailbox was tough. You know, that was yeah. the first driveway. Um, so yeah, the first 5k, I mean, I'm terrified. None of, I mean, I'm older. None of my friends did anything athletic. I mean, my friends were crocheting. They were not like, you know, riding their bikes or or walking or whatever. So, um, I had no idea what to expect, but of course my younger son went with me. Um, and I, I just remember feeling so excited to have a race bib to, to pin to the front of my shirt. I just thought that was the coolest thing. Um, but we take off on the walk, and I thought I was going to die. I mean, basically, 
what I what I know now about heart rate and how to judge my heart rate zones, I know my heart rate was at red line that whole walk. I mean, just trying to get all that extra weight, you know, to go three miles. And with the crowd there, I think I went a little faster than I, you know, walked at home. But but it was great. Um, made it to the halfway point. And the twist in this um, race was that at the halfway point, they gave all the participants each a dozen donuts. And so you at the halfway, you sat down and had a picnic and ate your donuts. And then you and then you then you ran back to the start. So I did I did not eat the donuts. So, yeah, but it was it was great. And I learned at this race, especially I learned about I learned a couple of things. One was that about the kindness in the endurance community. And I know you guys know all about that. And there's just something about um, the endurance community that are so supportive of one another and so kind and joyful. And um, I just fell in love just with that community spirit in, in that community, in that, in that race. And then the other thing I learned is that of all the hundreds of people that were at that race, there were only maybe 5% that were actually racing. The rest were just trying to get over the finish line, you know? And so that, that was a big aha for me to realize that you didn't have to go fast. You just had to keep going until you got to the finish line and didn't matter. It took me, I think an hour and 20 minutes to walk my first 5k race and um, didn't matter to me. I came in dead last and I felt like I had won the Boston Marathon. I mean, it was just, you know, I am, I'm dead last. And I have one finger up in the air. I'm number one in my mind. <laughs> so I did it. <laughs> I heard you tell a story about um, how you passed up water at the aid station. Yeah. Can you share that? Yeah. And I so feel like that's really, I feel like that's really touching. And it's also a, like a, a game changer that moment. Absolutely. There, there were a couple points in my journey that, that were just life changing. And that, that was one of them. Thank you for asking about that. Um, so at the halfway point, there's a, a table where all there's, you know, hundreds of little glasses of water that the uh, walkers and runners would pick up on their, on their way. But when I got to that table, once one, I had never seen a, a aid station before. I had no idea what it was. But I figured it was for the people that were the real athletes, the people that were running, and not for me because I was just a walker. And I'm, I remember thinking I didn't deserve water because I was just walking. And so I just walked past the table because that was for the runners. And this volunteer, she was amazing. She picked up a glass of water from behind the table. She came running out and caught me and handed me the glass of water and said, this is for you, you need this water. And at that point, I think that was the first time I ever kind of felt like an athlete um, because somebody thought that I was doing something physical that was so physical, I needed water. And it was just, that was life changing. And, you know, I, I don't know who that woman was and she will never know the impact that she had on my life. Um, and that, that was another thing I've learned in this journey, how sometimes we can say, you know, two words to somebody or just a small little act of kindness and you, it can change a life. Um, just the power of kindness to me is just, um, it's, it's amazing. So yeah, that, that was a great moment. So how does the 5k ensue into triathlon? Yeah. So I, I was walking and I started running a little bit. Um, I used a, a, a program called um, Run 5K on my phone, an app. 
and it's it's interval training where your first your first run interval is to run like for 15 seconds and then you walk for three minutes and then you run for another 15 seconds and then every day it builds you up so my first run was literally for 10 feet um because i mean i hadn't run for 40 years and i'm overweight and i don't i don't know if i can run so i just kind of tried it i went 10 feet and I'm not really sure it was running, but my elbows were bent and my arms were moving back and forth like a runner does. So I called it running. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> but to me it was running. So started running a little bit and then just started thinking, I wonder if there's other sports I could do or other types of exercise. So I, I did a water aerobics class. And then after class, which water aerobics is wonderful for overweight people because you don't have to support any of your weight. The water supports you. And um, that was great. But but after class, I, I wondered, just got curious one day, I wonder if I could swim a length. And so I got a kickboard out because I, I thought, well, if I drown, I could at least hold on to the kickboard. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I kicked the length and I made it. And then I kind of breaststroke dog paddled another length. And um, so every day after class, I started trying to swim a little bit farther than I did, you know, the time before. And then I thought, well, gosh, I had heard about this thing called a triathlon, and I didn't know any triathletes, but I started thinking, you know, there's a third component, which is bike. I hadn't ridden a bike in 40 years, but I thought I could do a spin class. So I just started a spin class and rode on a stationary bike. And then one of the things that I learned is that I hate exercise unless it has a purpose. So when I started thinking about triathlon, I never thought I would do one, but in my head, I'm, I, you know, I'm walking down the street and I'm telling myself, oh, I'm preparing for a triathlon. I'm going to do a triathlon someday. I never thought I would. I never would say that out loud to anyone, but it's just in my head, it was this little game, this little daydream I had. Um, and then finally, I realized that I could do the distance in each of the three events and it was just a matter of putting them putting it all together so i signed up for my first sprint triathlon um didn't tell anybody because i was sure i was going to back out or quit in the middle or whatever so the only one my knew i was doing it was my husband and yeah so we went and did my first triathlon and um it was i made it (laughs) so (laughs) it was great where so where was that in your journey like was that within the first year of your weight Um, loss yeah so i i i started losing weight and then gained it all back so i restarted in 2012 and Mm -hmm. and then my first triathlon was in 2013 so yeah so it was it was it was well into my journey, but I was still heavy because I had lost and then gained, regained. So yeah. but I was walking all that time when I lost and regained. So I had some fitness in 2012, but um, not a lot. <laughs> so when did this competitive athlete start to rise to the surface? Oh my gosh. So I did my... Was this another life-changing yeah, experience? Was, there were two. <laughs> this is the second one. <laughs> So I, I did my first triathlon and fell in love with triathlon. As soon as I got home, I signed up for another one. And um, I started like get, getting first in my age group. And I thought, well, I must have a knack for this. And after about my third time of being on the podium, 
I realized that I was the only one in my age group. So, so it was pretty, it was pretty easy to get on the podium when there was absolutely no competition. So, um, but yeah, so I started wondering how I compared to other women and I knew my age and I knew that to figure that out, I was going to have to go to a large uh, triathlon. So because I had finished first where I was the only one, I qualified for the national championship. So in my second year of triathlon, I'm still a very much a beginner. I mean, I'm such a beginner in, in my first transition I sat down and I put on clothes. I sat down. I I had a cooler with me. I ate a sandwich. I had a picnic in in my first transition. (laughs) And I brushed my hair because I wanted to look nice on the bike. Of course. Of course. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm such a beginner. So I get the nationals and I know I'm, you know, I think I'm going to come in dead last, but I didn't care. It was just such a honor to be at nationals and to be with the, you know, to see the best triathletes in the country and how they race and what they do in transition. And I I went more as a spectator, but I also wanted to see where I, where I lined up against other women my age. So the life-changing part was we get in this to the swim and I am terrified. It's my first mass start. It's my first um, wetsuit race. It's in Lake Michigan. It's my first swim in a large body of water. And I'm just scared to death. So I was working with a coach by then, and he told me to line up front and center in the mass start of the swim. So, and I, at that point I had committed to being coachable. So I did what he told me to do, even though I thought that was nuts. So I'm I'm in the front center and the gun goes off. And we all start swimming and I'm swimming along and we had to, we were all swimming towards this very narrow point. It was a bridge that we had to swim under. So everybody is kind of getting closer and closer as we're all getting to that mass point. And it's, it's like rib to rib. My ribs are rubbing on other women's ribs and, you know, we're really, really close. And I'm swimming along and my arm comes down on smack dab on the top of this woman's back And I'm thinking, now what do I do? And I thought about, you know, do I pop my head up and say, oh, excuse me, I didn't mean to hit you. Um, Because that's what I would do, you know, on the street if I bumped into somebody. But then I kept thinking about that narrow bridge. And I wanted to get to that narrow bridge that we had to swim under before she did. So I just kept my arm going around in my normal stroke. And in the process, I shoved her underwater and I swam over the top of her and I beat her to the bridge. And I loved that feeling. I mean, I just, I thought there's a beast inside of me. I just, and I'm thinking, Sue, you just pushed a woman underwater and you liked that feeling? It was just nuts. So I really, it really did bother me. I, I, I mean, I, I think of myself as having kind of a gentle spirit and to shove someone underwater and, and not be like upset by that. Well, I was upset by that. But I went home and talked to my coach and I said, coach, I think we have a problem. I shoved this woman underwater and I liked it. And and he just laughed. He said, Sue, that's the feeling we want. That's the competitor in you. That's You want to have that primal drive and to want to beat people. And, you know, he said, on the street, don't push anybody down. But when you're in a competition, that's fine. You're just trying to, you know, you didn't shove her underwater on purpose. You're just trying to, you know, 
you're just trying to get to the point a point before she does. So yeah, so I discovered that I have this competitive spirit inside of me, and I do, man. When I'm on the course, I'm just, I just want to, I, I don't know, I'm just a beast. <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And, and but it, thought, I, you know, a sixty-year-old beast, a grandma, you know, <laughs> just crazy. Well, the the thing that I find is, as we continue to get older, we're in our late forties now, is that the people who continue to be in the game are the super competitive ones. So I bet you're finding that it's it's yeah. not a breach in your age group. Like you got to work for it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it's probably funny to some people, but, you know, imagine all these 65-year-old women, 66-year-old um, women, all like, you know, they're, they're all beasts and they're all like flying <laughs> at each other. And it's, um, yeah, it's... It's, yeah. And then at the end, you're like, congratulations, great job yeah. out there or on the run, you know, and again, yeah. that's that community. That's that kindness that we see, even though, you know, the girl that you just shoved under the water is saying, <laughs> great swim. Yeah. The funny part was in the um, in the restroom after the race, I heard these two women talking about or a woman talking to another woman about how she got pushed underwater in the swim. And she had to have been talking about me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll just move myself from here. <laughs> so as as you're, go, I mean, you're dropping the weight. Now you're competing. Now you're getting first place. You're going to nationals, and you're really, you're really transforming, which is a beautiful transformation. You're moving into an active, healthy lifestyle. The people around you, sometimes it's hard to. It's it's hard. I, I, Sometimes it's hard for somebody so close to you to have such a big change. Did you have resistance or friends that were like, okay, you're not getting invited to the crochet, <laughs> crochet circle? Or, I mean, did you have, I mean, did you have anyone fall away from your life or, or resistance yeah. because of what you were doing? No, I, I've been very blessed with that. Um, and I have, I've heard people have shared those stories with me too, how it's, you know, it's such a transition that it's it is hard for other people to to relate to you because with a new identity um and it's it, it is hard but i've just been really blessed my husband um he loved me when i weighed 335 pounds and he loves me at 135 pounds he's always been supportive of me no matter what journey i was on in work or in triathlon and yeah i've been very very blessed with that and I think my kids, my sons, they they love it because I'm able to do things now. You know, we we I can go for a walk, I can go swimming with my grandkids. Um, you know, it's it's made me just be able to do things with with the family that I couldn't do before. So yeah, it's been lovely. Have you had to mourn the loss of your old identity? Yeah, not so much mourn, but um, that's a really good question. And that was a shock. I I had in my mind, I was looking forward to weighing, I think it was 166 pounds, because at that point, according to the government, I would no longer be overweight and by their charts. And so I thought, I mean, I couldn't wait to get to 166 pounds. And, and I'm weighing myself every morning. And when I got to the point where I was 165.9 or something, I was just under 166, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm no longer overweight. And I was envisioning getting on, you know, social media and saying, woohoo, I'm no longer overweight. And 
But I just, I freaked out <laughs> just because I, I didn't know who I was. And I remember that morning looking in the mirror and it was like I was looking at myself and I was a Martian, you know, or all of a sudden I had changed, you know, I had changed, I, you know, I had three arms or, you know, it was just, I just didn't know who I was. And that threw me not for a long time, for about three weeks, two or three weeks, I, I just had this unsettled feeling because I just, I didn't know who I was and because I'd always been the obese person and now I didn't know who I was. Um, but I talked, my coach has been such a, a help for me through this. And, and he said, he said, Sue, now you're an athlete. And I, that just felt preposterous to me because, you know, obese people weren't athletes. I never knew I could be an athlete and be heavy. And, you know, and now I wasn't heavy. I was normal weight. And, you know, I just, I just couldn't think of myself as an athlete. I would, I would refer to myself as a pseudo athlete or an athlete wannabe, but I just couldn't call myself an athlete. But he really, my coach really stressed that. And, and I actually did exercises where I would look in the mirror in the morning and just say to myself over and over, you know, self-talk, you are an athlete, you are an athlete. And after a while that just, you know, it's like the habit thing again. It, mm -hmm. it just became, it just, it just felt more comfortable to think of myself that way. Mm -hmm. And now that's absolutely who I am. I'm an athlete. <laughs> Do you get people asking you like, um, because we always want the fast track. So they're like, you know, what did you do? Like, what, what can I do to get to that point? Whereas um, just from the, the stories that you've told, I see this, you just kept making little, little steps here and there. Like you stayed after swimming and, and just went one more lap than you did the, right. the final week and made these really, really t small changes over a long period of time where people may look at you who you meet and are like, well, I want, I want some of that. Like what, what's the key? Like what, what can you tell me to do? And, and to summarize all of it into one, you know, finite pinpoint answer is probably super challenging because it took a lot of things over time. Yeah, that's why um, I appreciated your introduction so much because you were did such a good job. <laughs> I can send it to you. <laughs> good, I'll copy it. Perfect. So, but yes, I think that people, you know, everyone wants a quick fix, and everybody wants it to be easy. Um, and I don't think it's, I don't, I think it actually it is easy, but it's not quick. So it's just a matter of making small, you know, steps day after day after day after day, a series of small steps over time in, in anything that you want to do. I mean, you know, now I, I want to be a better triathlete. Well, I'm not looking at even next season. I'm looking three years out and thinking, what are the little steps I need to take in the next three years so that I can be a better athlete three years from now? So, you know, there are no, there are no miracles or no quick fixes if there were we would all be doing them. So there, there just aren't. And then people always want to know what my prescription is for the best diet. And, um, you know, we talked before about how it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle change. But I, I always say to people that the best lifestyle change, in my opinion, is the one that you'll stick with. And there's probably not a one size fits all thing that will work for everybody. It's the one that you know, works for you and your body and your, you know, your mental approach. And, you know, it's the one that you will stick with. So. 
Yeah. So you had you had mentioned that um, so 2010 was that pivotal moment at breakfast, but then you had mentioned that 2012 you had gained weight back. Right. And so where where was the, what was the struggle there that you started to put the weight back on? Yeah, it was just that um, the eating all my calories or points for breakfast. And, okay, and, so it yeah. was like a yeah like another diet. Yeah. Right. Okay. But, but there was the point where I, I distinctly remember this after I'd put all that weight back on where I could, I even remember where I was. I remember thinking, okay, I have a choice now. I can sit, just say, okay, this is just one more failed diet and just say dieting doesn't work for me and just, you know, give up and just accept that I'm going to be obese the rest of my life. Or I can find a plan B. And if plan B doesn't work immediately or after time, then found a plan C. So I kind of made the decision to never give up, that if one path didn't work, just find another path. And um, if that path didn't work, just find another path. And, you know, just to, to never give up. I think it's so easy to say, oh, it doesn't work and just toss in the towel rather than to make that adjustment and try something different. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. 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 You t- so having a choice, you've got power. Yeah. And absolutely. when you fall into that lack of like, well, I'm just, it's just diets don't work for me. So that's just the way it is. And, and yeah. then, then you fit that, that box and those, whatever fits inside that box. And now you're safe because you have that. But when yeah. you, when you have a choice and you realize you've got that, that power to choose, it's so profound. It's so, yeah. um, oh, it's so strengthening because you're taking control of, the external experiences and stimulus that you once thought dictated who you were. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I'm amazed that there are a lot of people who are overweight will come to talk with me. And it's, it's interesting there. Some of them, um, it's probably about 50, 50, about half of them are really interested in, you know, what's my next step. And, you know, they want to move forward and the other half will talk to me about overweight and say, and then their next sentence is, yeah, but, and then they'll tell me why they can't lose weight. And, and you're right. It's all about choices. They can accept that. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, but I have children at home and, you know, I, I don't want to cook for two people or yeah, but my metabolism is slow or, you know, whatever. Yeah, but they come up with, they can accept that or they can choose to go a different direction. And yeah, you're right. It's all about choice. And man, once you realize that you have choices in life and um, that is very powerful. And the nice thing about choice is it's free. You know, you don't have to, anybody can choose. It doesn't matter what your income level is or we all have the power of choice. Yeah, exactly. So not only did you not think you were going to ever be a triathlete or a competitive beast, um, but also writing a book about yourself. Here's somebody who's in a you know a professional role of service, and now you're writing a book about yourself, which ultimately I believe is a gift of service. But how does this idea of a book even come into your life? Yeah, so um, that was that was kind of fell into my lap, and um, kind of so a lot of people, when I told them my story, at, normally at triathlons, it would come up when, as people were chatting and when we were setting up transition or after the race. And um, a lot of people said, you should write a book, Sue. And then people started um, 
they would contact me through social media and say, you know, oh, your story has inspired me and now I've started my journey. And sometimes it wasn't a weight loss journey. It was some other journey that they wanted to go on and felt hopeless about. And then they thought, well, if Sue could lose 200 pounds, I can certainly go after this career promotion or, you know, whatever it was they wanted or to be kinder or better spouse or, or whatever. So I had the mind, the, the, the idea of maybe writing my story but here's my yeah, but yeah, but I got a D in my high school term paper in English class. <laughs> oh my God, you're still carrying that around. <laughs> <laughs> well, all my life I thought I couldn't write because I. Isn't that yeah, so interesting? Yeah, yeah, even in my professional life where I did a lot of writing, I always thought, well, I can't write. I got it. My my high school English teacher gave me a D. Yeah, so, so if we talk about life, like we think life-changing moments are always positive, but there's a lot of life-changing moments where yeah. we decide to put to, that we're limited in, a, yes, in an area. Clearly yeah. you're not. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. And, and, you know, as a parent or as a teacher, the messages that we give to kids are, are huge and can totally shape who those kids end up being. Um, but yeah, so I thought I couldn't write, but, and then I also thought, I mean, I, I thought, who would be interested in my story? You know, it's just like, I'm just a person who wants to read about me. Um, but I went to, I decided to go to a, a, I heard about a writer's conference where people that went would have the opportunity to meet with a book agent for 10 minutes. And so all these authors went, they all had their manuscripts with them and they had 10 minutes to pitch the manuscript. I didn't have one word written, but I wanted to just ask an agent, do you think it would be worth my time to write a book? And so for my 10 minutes, I go in this little room and I'm sitting down with the agent and I tell her, you know, I'm not like everybody else here. I don't have a manuscript. I'm not pitching anything. I just want to ask you one question. Is that okay? And she said, yes. And so I said, you know, it shared my story. And I said, would it, do you think anybody would want to read a book about me? And she said, yes, I think that they would. And then there was this huge pause. And she, then she said, and I'd like to offer you a contract right now. <laughs> so <laughs> there were 400 people at this conference. I was the only one that got a contract. <laughs> and and I'm thinking, it, I mean, it's harder to get a book agent than it is to get a publisher. That's really hard. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, I have an agent and I don't have a book. <laughs> so now I've got to like learn how to write a book. But then I, I went back to triathlon and I thought if I could learn how to do triathlon, I could learn how to write a book. And so I thought, well, how did I do it in triathlon? I got a coach. So I hired a book coach and, um, discovered that I was, um, a lot better writer than I thought I was. He had actually ended up doing very little editing. Um, so that was a pleasant surprise and yeah, so it is, and it is kind of weird to write about your life and put it out there for the whole world to read. But like, like you mentioned, it is, there were so many people that helped me in my journey that, and, and so many people that inspired me that, and then I looked at how I thought it was impossible to lose that much weight. And I wanted to tell people, you know, it is possible. And so I figured if I shared my story, maybe that would give other people hope and not just in weight loss and fitness, but hope that they could accomplish, you know, whatever they wanted to accomplish in life. So, so yeah, so I wrote the book and uh, we found a publisher and yeah, it's out there. That's amazing. And, you know, you're, you're gifting all of the proceeds. So can you speak about that? Cause 
you know, the, I think the information in the book is going to be such a gift to so many. So I encourage everybody to purchase the book. And uh, if you need an extra reason, Sue's going to tell us why. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I wanted to write the book to help people. And then I started thinking about the, you know, I realized there would be some income from the book. And I've also started doing um, another thing out of the blue a speaker agent contacted me and asked me if I would like to be represented. And so I've been doing like before COVID, I've been doing um, uh, conference keynotes all over the country. And um, so I knew that there would be income from that and then income from the book and um, started thinking about, well, how could we use that funding to help other people too? Um, so the, the funding for my speaking engagements is going to a couple of nonprofits that are helping increase the percentage of women in triathlon. Uh, that's uh, something I feel uh, uh, strongly about. And, and then from the book, um, those proceeds are going to USA Triathlon Foundation, and we've earmarked those funds. The foundation, their mission is to help people transform their lives uh, through triathlon. So it was a perfect fit for me because triathlon transformed my life. Um, and they work with, they have three different um, uh, directions in their work. One one is to work with uh, Olympic hopefuls and help them. Another is to work with youth. They do a lot of programming for kids to get them interested in fitness and triathlon. And then the third one was the one that really spoke to me, and that is to help people with disabilities um, who are, you know, missing limbs or are blind, to help them engage in triathlon as paratriathletes. Uh, their equipment is very expensive, and um, you know, it's 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 just a whole, it's it's a challenge. And uh, and the paratriathletes inspire me to the moon and back. I mean, to think about you know completing a, a normal triathlon is hard. To do it with you know a limb missing or to do it blind or I'm, it's just, and, and the spirit that I see in the paratriathletes, it's just contagious. I love watching them compete and um, it's just, it's, it's just wonderful. So the books funds are supporting uh, people with disabilities who want to be involved in triathlon and we're doing it through USA Triathlon Foundation. That's amazing. Um, when can, where can people get the book? Yeah, so the book is available on Amazon. It's um, The Athlete Inside, and just go to Amazon and search for that, and it will pop up. So Perfect. Yeah. And you're, you say you want to be you know, a better triathlete in three years. What is it that's, that like burns that fire inside of you? What is that, what is that big dream? Yeah, I, I, my guess is, I mean, I know a lot of triathletes feel this way, but for me, it's, it's I get curious about what I can do. And it's just, you know, I'm always, I, most of my journeys start with, I wonder, I wonder if, you know, I wonder if I could be better, or I wonder what would happen if I tried this run technique, or, you know, in the beginning, it was, I wonder if I really committed myself, could I make Team USA and compete on behalf of the United States at Worlds? And so now I'm just, you know, I'm just wondering if, if I continue to um, to apply myself and really commit as I get older, um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, what will it be like when I'm 90? You know, can I, can I still do this? And, you know, if I really prepare well now, can I still be doing this when I'm 90? And so there's all that I wonder if. I'm just really curious. Mm, yeah, stay curious. And it's a good place to be because, you know, you've got, you've got the unknown. 
And yeah. you're known as such a amazing because you're creating it in the moment. And even if it's just your thoughts, like yeah. just this question, like just thinking about what it what it looks like in three years, like what does it feel like? What is it? You're standing at the line of worlds and and you're crushing it and you're swimming over thousands of, of women and pushing <laughs> them down and thousands and, of 90-year-old women. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen. Um, so that seems to light you up. I see a huge smile and and, and yeah. lots of joy, but um, someone who needs that that lighting up, and, and look, I don't want to call it motivation, but how can they they find that inside themselves? Because it's always there. You I think you yeah. mentioned that. Like it's inside and you just gotta peel back the layers. How does how does someone take that first step when all they see is roadblocks and they see the the large uh, they see the large weight to come off at the end or, or getting to worlds they see that big thing at the end when they can just start now. Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm not sure I have a good answer for that. Um, I think that I think that it's possible for all of us to find joy within ourselves, and it's just a matter of figuring out what gives us joy and believing that we can get to a joyful place. It's kind of like what you said before, that it's, you know, it's just one little step at a time. And even if the world looks totally dark, you know, where's that one pinprick of light? And then what's the first step, you know, towards that? And if that first step doesn't work, then what's a different step to take? And I, I like to tell folks that, you don't have to know all the steps to start with. You just have to know the first step. So, you know, where's that place inside of your heart that brings you joy? And then what would be the first step to, to move in that direction? So yeah. I think beautiful. that, I think that's a beautiful yeah. answer. I think it's, yeah, I think that is the correct answer. Joy. <laughs> joy. I think yeah. it's our birth. I think it's our birthright and it is inside. And, and I think that was a beautiful answer. So, Sue, thank you so much. We're going to put links to everything in the show notes. Um, I encourage everyone to buy the book, gift the book. Um, you know, holidays are not canceled. They are right around the corner. For those of you who have <laughs> lost track of time, we are moving into the fall. This is the weirdest year on record, for it's sure. Weird. Yeah. But thank you so much for your time tonight. I know it's late night on the East Coast right now for an athlete. It's almost 8 p.m. It's jammy time. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time tonight thank you yes and thank you guys too for the work that you do in this podcast and really talking about you know the the joy part of of what we do and just what brings us together as humans and um i just as i've listened to your podcasts um i just really appreciate that so thank you too 